0: Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the season premiere episode of season seven of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most notable, the most bizarre homicides occurring in Maryland are profiled, they are examined, and they are discussed. Look how far this podcast has come. I mean, we are in Season 7, and we have discussed all types of notorious homicides that have occurred in the state of Maryland, and now we are really, really, like, in Season 7, almost up to Season 10. I mean, what y'all think the topic for, like, Season 7 will be? What do you think the focus, the topic for Season 7, what do you think that is, Well, I mean, we have discussed, like, relationship murders. We have discussed, like, uh, you know, robbery-related murders. We even discussed, like, murder-suicide cases, teen killers, murderers of children, sex-related homicides. And guess what, y'all? I mean, I, I I ain't even trying to be smart, but we have not even touched the surface of all the homicides that have occurred in this lovely state of Maryland. I hate to say it, but you know, those of us that live here, we know that it's true, even though I focused over, you know, 60 cases, we still haven't even scratched the surface of all of the notorious cases that are in this state. And it's like a lot of the homicides that happen in this beautiful state. Um, I hate to say it, but they simply, they just have like no motive. Or should I say, like, they have no motive that makes, like, any type of real sense. No motive that can be explained, like, in a rational, sensible way. And with that being said, the topic or focus for Season 7 Homicides will be homicides where... It will be, like, homicides where the murderer suffered from some form... of of obvious mental illness. And when I say mental illness, I don't mean that they, you know, they snapped or they got mad, they had, like, blind rage building up or something like that. I don't mean that, you know, it's like they decided to one day just zap out and take their anger out on somebody. No, I mean, these type of killers were, like, mentally gone. I mean, they had a history of various sorts of documented mental illness and either that or they had like um, they had like uh, repeated stays in mental institutions and they were somehow allowed to live in society when they obviously showed previous clear signs that they should have been committed. Mostly all of the murderers in this season, season seven, have been sentenced indefinitely to the only real mental institution that we have for the criminally insane in Merlin. meaning there's no real chance of them ever really being released back into society because their crimes were so bizarre, so brutal, so pointless, so out there. And the homicide that I'm going to profile on this episode is the tragic and senseless murder. The the murder that, you know, totally just made no sense was the murder of 22-year-old Tyreek Jamal Hudson. And like in all the other episodes in this podcast, a portion will be dedicated to an unsolved homicide that needs special attention because basically not much, if anything, is going on with the case. Last season, because I profiled 10 unsolved homicides where women were the victims, it's only fair that we give the same attention to the men. So for this season, season season seven, all of the unsolved homicides that will be profiled will be men. And this episode, this episode's unsolved homicide is the murder of 26-year-old Richard Darren Toll. Now, this next case, it it really like made me say it. I'm not even gonna lie. A lot of them do, but this one in particular really got to me because when the victim is the type of person like Tariq was. It sounds so close to home. And I I mean, I feel for the parents. Tariq was the type of young person, young man, young son that we as parents pray for. He wasn't even from here, not even from Baltimore, just over here working, minding his business and end up losing his life to a deranged maniac who should have been institutionalized a long time ago. James Allen Varenbeck was from Niagara Falls, New York, and according to an article in the Capital Gazette, James came from a good Christian family with both of his parents in the home and raised in a middle-class neighborhood. As a child, James was basically, he was pretty much normal. And his childhood was was routine but tragedy stuck his fr- struck his family when james mother committed suicide when james was just you know 12 years old a boy needs his mother and the death of james mother sent the whole family down a dark spiral of doom especially young james And he just drifted into a state of severe depression. And this wasn't just normal grief. You know, this was severe chronic depression. And James' father couldn't deal with his son's depression, let alone his own depression. And to escape everything, he sent James to live with an aunt. Now, y'all know we live in a sick world. And... There are people out there who will and are literally just waiting to take advantage of weak and vulnerable people, especially young kids, whether it be family, friends, or whatever. And it seems like they just lurking in the corners, waiting to take advantage of kids, especially when they lose a parent or they have a parent that's absent. And this aunt who James was sent to live with, at just 12 years old, she ended up sexually abusing him, taking advantage of a child who was suffering from depression and missing his mother. Not, you know, from something like an illness, but to suicide on top of everything else. And this aunt decides to take advantage of him sexually. People don't realize that the damage that can, the long lasting scars on a prevesting boy for life that sexual abuse can have, leaving him confused and lost, not only about his own identity, but confused about his sexuality, his emotions, his own life. And instead of fully dealing with these issues and getting therapy or counseling for any of this, James pushed through those issues Just like they didn't exist, he pushed all it under the rug, like a lot of people do, and he moved on with his life, probably not even realizing that he was holding on to issues that needed to be resolved. For two years, James was sexually abused by this aunt, but when he turned 14, he couldn't take the abuse anymore, and he decided that he would rather live out on the streets with all of the homeless people than stay with his aunt. And for two years, James managed to survive and to take care of himself, living out on the streets, getting all of the help and everything that he needed from the other homeless people who had looked out for him because, you know, he was young and living on the streets. But by the time James was 16 years old, he had worked and hustled enough and had enough money to get his own place because he got tired of living on the streets he wanted something better for himself so he got his own apartment and after a while he still managed to go to high school see it seemed like he wasn't stupid you know but when james turned 17 his anger and his depression his mood swings and all that you know they got the best of him and one day when he was at school after like an argument, he flipped over the principal's desk and he got kicked out of the school for that outburst. And another family member, she felt sorry for him and she allowed him to stay with them. James got back on with his life. He got back on course. He registered in another high school that was in Calvert County this time. And despite his problems that he still had, James did walk across that stage and graduated from high school. After high school, James met a girl, they got engaged, and James decided that he was going to go into the military, specifically the Navy. And because James was, you know, somewhat intelligent and he had scored so well on his entrance exam, he was placed into a school where they specialized in the study of nuclear. Uh, propulsion. Everything was going good. Everything was looking great. Everything was going good for James. Seems, you know, I mean, he was in the Navy. He had a fiance. They were in love. They made plans to get married. There were no issues. Then, boom, this is how life happened. Tragedy struck again. Four months after James had enlisted in the Navy, his fiance was killed in a car accident after James lost his fiance, his deep depression and all that anger, all that stuff that he had been struggling with as a child and everything, trying to, you know, ignore, that came back with a vengeance. Some people, you know, they just can't handle that. I mean, James couldn't cope with uh, his fiance's loss, and the depression wore him down mentally. Severely depressed and now suicidal, James was admitted to the Navy's psychiatric facility for treatment, but he chose to give up his military dreams and he decided to be medically discharged because of his depression. After James left the military, he moved in with his former fiance's parents who lived in the Dunkirk area of Calvert County. James got a job in construction and also got another job in maintenance and he lived with his fiance's parents for a while until he got back on his feet but staying with his dead fiance's parents that really wasn't like no walk in the park and i mean think about it you staying with your fiance or your ex who's fiance who's not even there who's dead and He got depressed about that and his depression just got worse. It just kept building up. He was so suicidal that in nineteen ninety-six James snapped and he showed up at a clinic in Calvert County with a shotgun that he put under his chin, saying he was gonna kill himself. James did this not once. First time was at a clinic, second time was at a hospital in southern Maryland and the hospital had to be evacuated each time and the cops they were able to calm him down you know they were able to convince him to put down a shotgun he barricaded himself in rooms you know he caused a big scene he was charged criminally for having an unregistered shotgun but he was found you know not criminally responsible and sent to clifton t perkins for treatment instead of prison time now at perkins James was officially diagnosed with chronic depression and bipolar disorder. James was prescribed antidepressants that are supposed to stabilize your moods and he was sent on his merry way. Once James got himself together again, he started going out on dates again and in 2006, he met another woman at a party. James asked her out on a date on a date she went and at first she said you know james seemed normal he seemed cool like they always seemed like in the beginning but as soon as they got married james turned into dr jekyll and mr high type with severe mood swings you know mad one minute quiet the next minute moody the next minute zapping out over small stuff like if water was dripping out of a faucet Or going hours or even days without saying a word to her. Speaking to his wife. I mean, I don't know why y'all think getting married is going to be some type of instant cure. (laughs) Anyway, but especially with a person who is already suffering from any type of mental illness. Especially even like anxiety or depression. That's not going to cure that. But that only make things worse. But anyway... James' wife quickly realized that she made a big mistake by saying I do and she filed for a divorce not long after they just got married. James did not want the divorce and he suggested that, you know, they try to make the marriage work by going to see a marriage counselor. But according to articles for the Baltimore Sun, James' wife wanted out. She counseling or no counseling, she was like I'm out of there and in March of 2010, Her divorce was granted. Once again, James couldn't handle the loss. He could not take the rejection. So now he started stalking his ex-wife. He started harassing her. His ex-wife wanted to make it clear to James that it was over. So she wasn't playing around. She filed for a peace order against him. A judge signed off on the peace order. And James was ordered to stay away from his wife. But James paid that peace order no mind and still kept harassing and stalking his wife. So after he violated and ignored the peace order, a warrant was issued for his arrest in May of 2010. After James was arrested, his, new, his ex-wife didn't really, she didn't really want to see him in jail. She, you know She didn't want to see him locked up or nothing like that. She just wanted him to stay away from her. And that's basically what she told the courts so after James promised to stay away from his wife well, his ex-wife this time you know the case got suspended and James was free to go again I mean y'all see the pattern just because you know a person has not killed anybody he has you know shown signs of zapping out especially with the guns in the hospital and stuff like that anyway James drifted back to another ex-girlfriend, but after that relationship ended in 2013, James pretty much kept to himself, stayed single, and lived by himself. During one of James' uh, stays in a mental institution, he did receive another diagnosis of another mental illness. James was diagnosed as having schizoaffective disorder, which basically... You know it can be caused by tragic events like the loss of a loved one or a divorce or a history of abuse part of James mental illness came from never really officially being treated for the sexual abuse that he suffered from his aunt and he struggled with issues with his own identity and he felt great You know he was embarrassed and ashamed from the whole experience even as a 53 year old man but james got a job with the Anne Arundel county public school system as a groundskeeper and in 2019 james moved into an apartment at the colonial square apartments in Glen Burnie while living alone and taking his prescribed medication only sporadically and eventually stopping it altogether, James struggled and fought with guilt and delusions about his sexual abuse. Because, because like while he was alone in his apartment, he felt guilty because he would watch porn, and he felt guilty and embarrassed about watching all the porn. And somehow he associated the porn, you know, with the sexual abuse. And like I said, James was torn between. Uh, wanting to be a man or a woman and he wrote about stuff like this in a journal that he kept and sometimes he called himself by the name Jill you know instead of his name James he was confused he was embarrassed he was paranoid he was like just messed up about all of this and then he stopped taking his medication which was supposed to stabilize all of these thoughts and the paranoia eventually just led James to believe that people was watching him. He thought people were spying on him. He thought that they were watching him watch porn that he wasn't supposed to be watching. So it, it sounds weird and messed up, but and like I said, this whole season is about weird and messed up mentally crimes where you gotta go into a person that is mentally ill what they're thinking what their way of thinking their motive was so he's thinking that people you know are watching him watch porn um but these are the delusions the delusional thoughts that flooded his mind while he sat in his apartment now the neighbors just thought him As they just thought of him as this weird dude who kept to himself, you know, and just sometimes mumbled to himself and went through the dumpsters like he was looking for something. You know, we might see some people like that sometimes in downtown Baltimore, the ones that be mumbling and talking to themselves. They might actually be be going through some things. But James was known as the weird neighbor, the one who always left his front door cracked just so he can look out. Because James was so paranoid and suspicious of anybody in authority In his delusional mind, James believed that Satan the devil was using electronic devices to lure or entice people to prepare them for the apocalypse. So weird stuff like that. James believed that all of the communication devices, like phones, TVs, I mean not TVs, but any type of anything that came from radiation... He thought that they were just tools or stuff that people would use to spy on what he was doing. And because of this belief, he never got a smartphone, he never got the internet service, he never got cable. And he was told, like, he, I mean, he, he was so old school, he got like an antenna. And, you know, aluminum foil, bunny is bunny ears, all of that, if y'all can remember that. Which, honestly, to be actually I'm not even mad about that, actually, you know. TV with antenna on it but anyway he used all of that to watch local news because he didn't trust the internet or none of that whenever James wanted to see something other than like the local news he went to the library and he rented like CDs or DVDs that were you know already there which you know I, I didn't know porn was in the library but anyway he was taking things back to the 80s see something about the abuse that James had suffered It messed up his mind. And when you combine those feelings of guilt and shame with the porn, he felt embarrassed about watching. Plus, he had stopped taking his meds. And it was reported that he was trying to wean himself off of opioid painkillers. It was bound to be an explosion. It was bound to be an eruption. He was a ticking time bomb. 22 year old Tariq Jamal Hudson, trust me, was a different breed. Not what y'all used to seeing, you know, not even from, he wasn't even from here, wasn't even from Merlin. Minding his business. This computer software engineer literally was just minding his own business, doing all the right things in his life. Known as TJ, Tariq was from Wilson, North Carolina and he had finished a five-year early college program in four years while he was a student in high school before moving on to North Carolina at and State University, where he majored in computer science, of course. Smart! In translation, smart. A bachelor's in computer science, trust me, y'all, is not an easy degree to get but Tariq managed to earn his in less than 3 years and graduated in December of 2017 a year and a half early of schedule Tariq landed a job at Northern Grumman in Annapolis and he decided to move from North Carolina close to his new job in Merlin which makes sense like he and his mother decided on a modest apartment also like also where James lived at in the Colonial Square Apartments in Glen Birdie. And he lived in a unit directly above James. James was in apartment G and Tariq was in apartment K of building 179 on Virginia Lane. At work, Tariq was working on his second promotion in less than two years. Something else that's not easy to do. Everything, everything was going great and on schedule for Tariq's life until he moved to this state Of Merlin and his world collided with his mentally ill neighbor now James who was already paranoid and delusional he believed that because Tariq lived in an apartment over top of his he he thought that Tariq was somehow putting or lowering putting like a camera into his apartment through a hole in his utility closet And he thought that James had, he thought that Tariq had been videotaping, like videotaping or recording him while he was watching this porn that he already felt guilty about watching. And in James' delusional, mentally ill mind, he believed that Tariq was recording him and sharing the videos on the internet for the world to see, basically because. Every time James would try to test it out, like he would try to stop or pause whatever porn or DVD that he was watching, then in his mind, he believed that he could hear Tariq's footsteps above his apartment stop. Like, what? Think about that. Weird, and it's weird, but Tariq knew none of this. All he did was live upstairs mind mind his business. Tariq had absolutely no idea what was on the mind of this sick man downstairs. One day, about seven months after Tariq had moved into his apartment, on February the sixteenth, twenty nineteen, around ten AM, Tariq was taking out his trash to the dumpster, and he noticed that James was like staring at him, just looking at him. Out of nowhere, James was like, You knew this day was coming. You know what you did. Then James gave Tariq, like, the death sign. You know how, like, the universal death sign when you want to kill somebody or when they about to die, like, that whole you're dead sign? You know, like, when you put your, like, cutting somebody's throat or whatever? Now, just try to picture this. Tariq was a young black dude, engineer, not even from here, not used to some crazy white 53-year-old man stalking him, watching him, talking about stuff he had no idea what they meant, And now threatening him, this spooked Tyreek enough that he told his parents about what was going on. He telling his father, you know, I ain't never seen this guy a day in my life. After the death threat, Tyreek went straight to the rental office to see if they could put him in another unit, like or another apartment somewhere, you know, in the same place, but like at least around, you know, away from him. But the rental office talking about, you know... that's gonna like break your lease um he would have to break you know he can't get out of his lease and he had to stay in that particular unit until may of 2019 so when going to the rental office didn't work ain't that some you know that's something just like what a rental office would say like what's what's the what's the what's the big deal of putting you in another vacant unit what would have hurt so when going to the rental office ain't work tyreek went straight to court and filed for a protection order, writing to the judge about what happened, saying, I didn't know he was talking about, I didn't know what he was talking about, and honestly, he actually wrote, he said, and honestly, I feel threatened, and I have a fear of just going in and outside of my apartment for the the past couple of days. The judge did sign an interim protective order, and she scheduled a temporary peace order hearing for February 19th, 2019 when James showed up to court he told the judge that Tariq was the one who had been spying on him and now he wanted to press charges against him for spying on him in his own apartment in the end the judge denied both orders for protection and nothing really happened two months later on the morning of April 15th 2019 around 7:10 a.m disaster struck and James made his move. Tariq left out his apartment to go to work like normally. And James was waiting for him in the stairwell of the apartment building. Except this time he had his shotgun. And as Tariq walked out of the apartment, out, out of his apartment, James shot him in the chest. Neighbors heard the shot and one neighbor opened his door and looked out into the staircase to see what was going on. And when he did, James pointed his shotgun at him and was like, you're next. After James shot Tariq Point Blank Range in the chest, James went back into his apartment and piled and stacked furniture and crap all in front of his door, blocking the entrance and barricading himself in his apartment like he had done like before in the past at the hospitals in 96. The cops were called, of course and when EMS arrived, Tariq was pronounced dead at the scene. James stayed locked in his apartment in a barricade situation for nine hours before police got fed up and knocked a wall down to get basically to him. Charged with first-degree murder, second-degree murder, use of a firearm in a felony, reckless endangerment, and first- and second-degree assault, the police transported James to Baltimore Washington Hos- Hospital because somehow he got cuts and bruises when the police busted in his apartment on the way to the hospital. James confessed to the police what he had done and why, but Tariq's family had to plan a funeral, all because of a crazed tenant, a neighbor, a stranger who, knew n- who never should have been out mingling with the public anyway. Tariq's mother released a statement to the press that said he's never had any confrontations or any fights. Nobody has ever come to say, oh, your son did this to me, or your son did that to me. He was just overall a very gifted, unique child. Man, I'm telling you, I know the feeling. Tariq had loved playing video games, watching movies, going to church. And he was a huge fan of Marvel Comics and his hometown basketball team, the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. The, the boy never missed a, a day of school, he was well liked in his neighborhood, and the other tenants knew him as a dude who was, just went to work and minded his business, never bothered nobody and was extremely polite. Tariq's manager at work also reiterated how smart and intelligent and ambitious Tyreek was. James quickly pled guilty to killing Tyreek, but he said he wasn't criminally responsible for shooting Tyreek because technically he was legally insane. And the court agreed with him. So instead of receiving a day of prison time, James was sentenced indefinitely to Clifton T. Perkins, Maryland's only state brand maximum security forensic psychiatric hospital for all of his psychiatric care. And mental health treatment. So who's to blame here? Just because a person has a mental illness and decides to take another person's life, should that be your main catalyst? Your your basically your main your your main and only defense strategy? Because I'm mentally ill, I shot and killed a person? Should James have been locked away a long time ago? And should there have been real legal consequences for your own behavior and actions of people who suffer from mental health issues, like especially if they don't take their prescribed medications as ordered? Tariq's parents had tons of questions, but no real answers. And in November of 2021, Tariq's family filed a $30 million lawsuit against the apartment complex saying in the lawsuit that the apartment complex didn't provide effective or adequate security in the common areas and that the apartment complex they didn't do nothing to protect their son despite him going back and forth to the rental office and asking to be moved when they knew and believed that he lived next to a crazed delusional maniac who had a criminal history and who had a history of harassing and bothering the other tenants as well, and they did nothing. Tyreek's family didn't believe that James was insane in the first place, but even if he was, he shouldn't have been able to live amongst people who are not. So who else is there to blame? How about the judge who wouldn't grant Tyreek the permanent protection order? Many people believe that Tyreek's murder could have been avoided if only the judge had signed off on the protection order, which would have gotten James arrested at least for violating that order. And thousands of people signed a petition to have this judge removed from the bench. But of course, nothing happened. Tariq's family did establish the Tariq Hudson Legacy of Love Foundation, which gives scholarships to kids who want to go to college, but maybe they possibly can't afford it. Now, everybody that lives in the state of maryland know that why wow, this was a notorious case because honestly this could have been prevented this is one of those cases that could have been prevented not only by the reasons that i said earlier um the judge should have signed off on a protective order um james should never have been he should have been committed a long time ago um he never should have been out on the street when you show signs of paranoia and anger, and suicide that early, people should take notice. They usually snap later on. The rental office should be sued. I think the parents, um, of Tyreek's parents were 100% right in filing a lawsuit against the rental office. Enough of that, oh, I can't move you because you're gonna break your lease. Why? I mean, what is the big deal of moving someone into another unit, especially when their life is being threatened? He did all the proper measures. He went to court, you know, uh, He asked to be moved. What else? What What were his other options? And I also believe that the judge should be removed. It's about time judges should start um, being held accountable for their actions. Sometimes this people's lives are on the line. This happens a lot, but nothing ever happens to judges. This was a tragic case. I feel for the parents, you know, and I would hate the state of Maryland if I were them. To be honest with you. And now it's time to move on into this week's unsolved homicide. And like I say in every episode, although a lot of attention and focus is given to homicides in Maryland that were, you know, noteworthy and may have received a lot of press, this podcast also shines a light on many homicides that we see in this state that do not receive a lot of attention, if any attention or press at all. These killings are so common in this state that they don't really always make the news. Sometimes, you know, a person gets killed in the state, you don't hear nothing else about it, or you don't hear any news about it at all. It's common. And the number of homicides that are unsolved in this state is completely staggering. Homicide detectives can't do it by themselves, it's obvious, especially when they're outnumbered, kept busy all of the time. And what happens to cases where, you know, nobody is talking, those type of cases, I hate to say it, but nothing really gets done. The cases where basically because of the victim's past, like if they were selling drugs, if they was tricking, selling, you know, any of that, nobody is talking, you know, about these cases because sometimes people think, oh, they had it coming. You know, these cases are really hard to solve because the victim, quote-unquote, you know, cops, like, okay, they had it coming. I mean, what happens to these type of murders? Did the killer simply just get away with murder? It just seems like literally nothing is done with these forgotten cases, not because nobody cares anymore, but sometimes because the public simply just forgot all about it. It's like we've become immune to homicide in this state. Well, on this podcast... Although we talk about cases where they did receive a lot of notoriety and attention on the flip side, a focus is also dedicated to homicides that did not receive the attention that they deserved. And with that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 26-year-old Richard Durian Toll. Salisbury, Maryland is a town located in Wicomico County, close to the eastern shore salisbury is not that violent when you compare it to like the state of you know like a city like baltimore in like 2006 salisbury had five only five homicides whereas unlike baltimore they had 276 homicides see what i'm saying Do the math and in salisbury 26 year old richard toll was unfortunately one of those homicides reported in Salisbury. On Monday, June 5, 2006, at around 12.10 a.m., Salisbury police responded to a call about a shooting at the Queen City Elks Lodge at 230 Catherine Street in Salisbury. And when they got there, they found Richard lying behind a home. Richard had been shot in the parking lot of Elks Lounge in front of several witnesses. But all of those, all all the witnesses could tell police was that the shooter was a black man wearing a white t shirt, which is everybody in the state of Maryland. Every black man in the state of Maryland. Richard was rushed to Peninsula Regional Medical Center where he later died. As of today, Salisbury detectives still have no convictions for this homicide. So, if you have any information and would like to provide anything, any clues, no matter how mundane it may seem, please call the Salisbury Police Department at 410 548 3113 or Crime Solvers at 410 548 1776. Once again, You can call the Salisbury Police Department at 410-548-3113 or you can call Crime Solvers at 410-548-1776. You can remain anonymous, people. Thank you for tuning in this week, the season premiere of Season 7. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine-tingling, hair-raising, air-popping episodes. Air-popping, eye-popping episodes. For paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the unedited, unedited, uncensored truth about why I do what I do, how I got into true crime, and what led me to do all of the books, the podcast, you know, the shows, the appearances on. Uh, TV One. A lot of people think I just woke up one day and then like, boom, there's a true crime podcast. Nah, boom. That is not even the truth. There is a whole message to all of this crazy madness. I've been in this game for almost almost 20 years now. And if you click on the past, on, on the past episode entitled Why I Do What I Do, y'all will understand more about why I do what I do. I also want to let my listeners know that for season one, which was the uh, the child murder homicides, six of those episodes have been selected for film production. Meaning, production has officially begun for the video or documentary production version of those six episodes. So, and the very first documentary produced by Savage Life Productions will be based off of the very first episode that was featured on this podcast. So if you haven't checked out the very first episode, which I did when I was nervous and I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Either way, guess what? There's a documentary about that about to come out. So tune in because the video version will be coming to your way soon, later this year, 2023. And while you're at it, Check out the new website, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com, and Maryland is spelled uh, MDS, Most Notorious Murders.com, where you can access episodes from season one through season six. You can also find links to all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990 to 2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume One. You can also find links to uh, my local bestsellers, Junkie, A True Baltimore Story, Until I Get Caught: The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, and Child of Baltimore. You can also check me out on the latest episode of Payback for TV One, and you can check me out on. Uh, uh, you can also check me out on TV One the murderers where I profiled Josephine Gray on the Oxygen Network the female serial killer in Maryland once the video documentary based on uh, seasons ones are available you will be able to find the links to the documentaries here also at uh, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com be sure to tune in next week where another gruesome another high profile another bizarre homicide occurring in Maryland, it will be profiled, it will be examined, and it also will be discussed on Maryland's most notorious murders. And this has been a Savage Life production.